You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, David and Sarah and Ricky and everyone, Neil, who has participated in the service. And thank you for being here and enduring a little bit of wind. Um, we used to do this three times a year. We only do it twice a year. We got tired in the summer of meeting at 4 a.m. to beat the heat. So we're enduring a little bit of wind and chilliness this morning. Hopefully, the message from Daniel chapter 5 will heat us up a little bit. Uh, too bad we're not talking about the fiery furnace this morning. Um, then we would feel a little bit warm. I do just want to reiterate one thing that Ricky said. Um, a little bit ago, Grace Connection this coming weekend will be the last of the year. So if you're thinking about membership or you want to learn more about Grace, this would be the time. Please sign up online. We need to know. And by the way, men, when you receive an email asking about whether you will attend uh, men's breakfast, please respond to that. We run out of bacon every time. So we need to know how many people are coming. So if you would, please respond to that. My name, by the way, is Brad Talley, and I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. And if it's your first time, we extend to you a very special welcome. Well, perhaps you have heard about the professor who said to his students, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Yet those who do study history are doomed to stand by helplessly while everyone else repeats it. That's kind of the way it feels. I don't ask for a show of hands too often, but I think I will this morning. So I want to ask you, how many of you love the subject of history? How many of you love studying history? All right, some with two hands up. How many of you hope you never see another history book in the rest of your life? How many are? All right, split, not quite half and half, uh, more who do like than don't like. I, look, I understand that God has made us in different ways and, and the way he has made us is going to point us to particular interests and pursuits in one direction or another. But those who love scripture, it's so important to be open to learning about history. You have to know about the ways that God has worked in the world. And, and this amazing planet that he has created and put us on for his glory and for his people's benefit. Why is it important? For starters, so that we'll learn from the mistakes that others have made and then not make the same mistakes. My brother-in-law used to always say, experience is expensive and wise is the person who buys it secondhand. And it would be an amazing thing if nations and individuals would learn from history. Well, today we're going to be in Daniel 5, which recreates the famous incident of the handwriting on the wall. It's amazing how many slogans and, and sayings that we use today that come from the book of Daniel. Feet of clay, handwriting on the wall are just a couple of them. Perhaps you know the story of arrogant and foolish Belshazzar, as redundant as it seems to call someone arrogant and foolish. Belshazzar was the last ruler of 
Babylon. Not the last king, but the last ruler. So are you ready for a little bit of a history lesson? And by the way, I'm going to say several things that relate to history today, to the setting in which Daniel 5 was written. And it'll be interspersed, though. So if you're not tracking, just hang on. We'll get past that quickly. Um, Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus, who was the last king of Babylon. Belshazzar ruled in the city of Babylon while Nabonidus, Nabonidus uh, moved to the Arabian desert to a place called Tima. And, and probably the reason that he did, the king, the king couldn't even rule in his own city because the, the patron god of Babylon was not the god that Nabonidus worshipped. Nabonidus worshipped um, the god Sin, but the, but the patron god of Babylon was Marduk, also known as Bel. So therefore, he was in the Arabian city of, of Tima, Tima for, for 10 years. That's when he was away from Babylon, and also since he worshipped the moon god, that's some of the reasons that people thought he went crazy and was uh, the, actually the king of Daniel chapter 4. Uh, the objection to this account for centuries has been that there was no secular historical acknowledgement of there ever being a Belshazzar. That is until 1887 when the Babylon, Babylonian Chronicles were published, at which time the biblical character of Belshazzar was made to the world and everyone agreed that biblical accounts are always true. If only that were true. Andrew Steinman, drawing from both secular and biblical sources, writes that King Nabonidus was defeated by Cyrus on October 10th, 539 B.C. at Sippar, which was a little over 40 miles from Babylon. And, so, and the Persians, after defeating King Nabonidus on October 10th, marched into Babylon two days later, shocking everybody. They didn't think they would get there that fast. And in fact, the walls of Babylon were strong, and, and the people in the city thought they had a long time to hold out until... Mm. Cyrus got tired and just went away. So the events of Daniel 5 then took place on October 11 of that year, which puts it at four days more than 2,562 years ago. That's when it happened. Belshazzar, trusting on the walls, thinking it's going to hold the Medes and the Persians out for a long time, decided to have a party. It's amazing how alike modern men and women are to people all those years ago. So the title of today's message is The Right Side of History. You've probably heard that phrase a decent amount over the last several years. It's awful used in a self-righteous, self-serving manner, implying that history will reveal one's opponents to whatever issues are at, at, <clears throat> in play to be fools. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to be on the right side of history. Hope you'll agree with me so that you too 
can be on the right side of history. Unless you think I'm about <clears throat> to launch into a political, social, or religious diatribe, let me quickly say that the right side of history will not be fully revealed until Jesus returns. <clears throat> you will want to be sure on that day that you are standing with Jesus. Now, if you think life is too complicated and the issues too complex for such a simple view, please know there's a difference between simple and simplistic. It's pretty clear. Be with Jesus on the day that he returns. This morning in Daniel 5, we're going to read about a group of people who crossed the line. Nebuchadnezzar, or <clears throat> excuse me, um, Belshazzar, crossed the line. He led this drunken group of lords over different provinces and towns of Babylon into a debauched, ridiculous party. I was tempted to call the message crossing the line, but the truth of this chapter is a lot larger than a king's folly. Since history is the best indicator of the future, despite all of our technological advances, I'll address the worldwide unrest over events in the Middle East uh, in, in just a few minutes. Daniel 5 is, as all the chapters in Daniel have been thus far, a lengthy narrative. So let's begin with Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. I won't ask you to stand, and you'd be standing and sitting down all, all morning if we did that for the reading of Scripture. Daniel 5, 1. <clears throat> King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of the thousand. Maybe got drunk. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. Imagine if we had this beautiful communion set up front, and we had just had communion, and then somebody took them off to a big party. Where they're going to worship other gods. That's what... Belshazzar was doing. They drank wine <coughs> and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So on the eve of destruction, the leaders of Babylon were partying hard. As believers who are viewing this from 2,500 years plus years and with a heavenly perspective, we immediately think when we see this, oh, I just don't think I would do that. Belshazzar, you, you don't know what you're doing. You may be crossing a line. But he did. He mocked the God of Israel by using the sacred vessels taken from the temple in Jerusalem to worship his pagan gods at this debauched party. Now look, one of the reasons we know it was... It was wild and wicked and sinful. You just didn't party in ancient times with your wives and concubines all there at the same time. This was a wild party. 
disqualifies from our perspective as breathtaking arrogance. <coughs> Excuse me. Our gods are greater than your Yahweh, whatever his name is, O Judah. It was a step too far. But the consequences of this night had been brewing for 66 years from the very time that Daniel and his friends were taken as slaves from Jerusalem to Babylon. So a lot of things happen that are all of a sudden, but it's been building up to that time of amazing destruction when it finally comes. Belshazzar would learn that to mess with God's stuff, the vessels from the temple, and to mess with God's people was to mess with God himself. You know, these parents that were up here this morning, you mess with them, they can handle it. But you mess with their kids, they're going to mess with you. The theme of the chapter, as with the entire book, is the redemptive purposes and acts of a sovereign God in history who works for the good of his people. So who are God's people today? Is it still the Jewish people? Or is it Christians, whether they be Jews or Gentile? The answer, though it seems simple to some and complex to others, is yes. And there'll be a much more comprehensive treatment to this question in November. For now, let me just say that if all Israel is going to be saved, if God is going to bring all Israel back to him, when the time of the Gentiles is completed, as Romans 11 indicates, then I think it would be unwise to seek their harm today. Hamas terrorists crossed a line last week. Now, notice, emphasis on terrorists, not Palestinians, but Hamas terrorists crossed a line last week. Not everything secular Israel does is, is justifiable any more than everything <clears throat> secular America does is justifiable. But Psalm 122 verse 6 is still valid. Pray for the shalom of Israel. Now since Galatians identifies all who believe in Jesus as Abraham's children, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem is by extension to pray for the well-being of all of God's children, including you who have gathered here to worship Jesus this morning. So back to the events of October 11th, 539 B.C. Verse 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote the plaster wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. I think we get the picture. I mean, imagine his his reaction is enough to let us know that he realizes this is not just the wine talking to him. Something is going on here. And when Daniel says his limbs gave way, it might well have been a euphemism, a polite way of saying that 
after this incident, <clears throat> Belshazzar needed a change of clothes, shall we say. Verse 7, the king called loudly, and by the way, not the king, but acting as the king. For all practical purposes, he was since his father had been over, uh, <clears throat> overrun or had been routed as the leader of the people of Babylon two days earlier. So the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in but could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed again, I suppose, and his lords were perplexed. It's, it's so familiar, both in the courts of Babylon, uh, court of Babylon, and in our modern-day courts. So here's a good word to us. Do not be intimidated by the culture's arguments that sound good but are clearly unbiblical in moral and religious matters. In the end, only a biblical worldview or social imaginary will stand the test of time. All other views fail at some point. But Scripture is big enough to encompass all areas of life and all matters of life. If you're not a Christian, no one can prove this to you. It doesn't work that way. I can't give you enough proof to make you believe. But there is plenty of evidence to support a belief in Jesus Christ having died for your sins and the Lord of the universe. But once you believe, oh my, this, this book, all of a sudden, that made no sense, comes alive. And it's as if God is speaking directly to you, which he is. It will seem like truth has been hiding in plain sight all along. But you must believe. Verse 10. The queen, who was probably the queen mother... Belshazzar's mother, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. I think Daniel wants us to know that his color changed. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father... Light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowing and knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So the queen mother was correct about Daniel's wisdom, but she was wrong about the source of his wisdom. It wasn't the spirit of the holy gods. It was Yahweh 
himself. When she identified Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's father, she meant his predecessor in the same way that Elisha called Elijah his father. So verse 16, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you were Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. What was he doing? He was reminding him, oh yeah, you're that slave we captured. I hear you're some kind of big deal. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you. And the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have brought in before me, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So one would assume Daniel, who always treated Nebuchadnezzar with deference and respect, would treat Belshazzar the same way. But that's not the case at all. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar did kingly kind of things. Why? Because he was in charge of everything, right? Or was he? Verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. And his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind. And his mind was like, made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind. And sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. It's that history thing. You knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone which do not see or know. But the God in whose hand is your very next breath. And whose are all your ways you have not honored. Now this is a side of Daniel we have not seen before. He was, you can get the sense, he was hopping mad because of these blasphemous actions. And he went so far as to say, really, Belshazzar? 
Don't you know that God controls your ability to breathe? And why this anger now from Daniel? Because there's a time to gently instruct from God's word, and there's a time to pronounce judgment, which is what Daniel was about to do. Verse 24. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old, received the kingdom. I love that Neil said this morning, we're receiving communion. We tend to think that communion is something that we take and that nations are something that kings take. But everything we have is a gift of God, which is why we can never work our way to being a Christian. We can't be good enough. If we're going to have salvation, we must receive it. So why didn't Belshazzar have Daniel chopped up into little pieces with this prophecy of doom? Most likely because he knew that the prophecy, this prophecy was from the God of heaven. And he did not want to have to deal with the hand. One important note here. Darius the Mede, who came in and conquered the city, was most likely, I want to say almost certainly, but most likely Cyrus the great. It was not uncommon at all for kings to have more than one name. And, and in addition to Cyrus being uh, uh, born of Median descent, um, it, he, he, his age lines up with the biblical account. Darius was about 62. It says about 62 in 539 B.C., and we know that Cyrus died in 530 at the age of 70. Thus, it's likely that Darius and Cyrus were one and the same person. So even if we, and again, if this is, you're not tracking with this, it's okay. Some of you are, and it's important to you. Even if, even if we understand, if we understood Darius not to be Cyrus, but another ruler, do not think that the absence of proof of his existence means that he did not indeed exist, as the Bible say that he does, because we didn't know as, as the nation or as the world, the, the, the secular historian said the Bible can't be true, there's no Belshazzar. Well, they changed their mind in 1887, except they really didn't change their mind, because proof just doesn't, that's not what convinces people. The Holy Spirit must work in our lives and we must believe, and when we believe, then we see. 
Even so, we think that Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Great, ruler of the vast Achaemenid Empire, were one and the same person. We've seen God's dealings with the arrogant Belshazzar in this text, but are there any lessons for us from Daniel 5? Yes, there are plenty, but we're going to stick to three, beginning with this. Pray for a curious heart and mind to not only learn about history, but to learn from history. <laughs> Perhaps one of the saddest things about Belshazzar's behavior, as Daniel pointed out, is that he didn't learn from Nebuchadnezzar's struggle with arrogance. <clears throat> Surely he knew of at least two times in King Nebuchadnezzar's life where his arrogance got the best of him and Yahweh humbled him and proved himself to be the most high God in both instances. Both in Daniel 3 and 4, God put Nebuchadnezzar in his place. And both times the king acknowledged God as the highest God. We don't know whether he came to saving faith or not, but we know that Nebuchadnezzar never went so far as to drink from the sacred vessels brought from the temple in Jerusalem. Look, most kings were superstitious, and even though they'd bring the gods and put them on display or the, 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 the ornaments of, the, of, of worship to the other gods, they wouldn't tempt fate by doing something sacrilegious like this. I've spoken a lot about the patterns that we find in Scripture over this past year in particular, but there are also patterns in history that help us discern the way that God works His sovereign will in history so that we might respond accordingly. For instance, what are some of the characteristics of a nation? Just not even thinking about <clears throat> Scripture which God is the one who is orchestrating all of this. But if you just look at the world and say, what are some of the characteristics of nations that are on the rise? They're disciplined from top to bottom, from the leadership all the way down to the, to the peasants. Everyone is disciplined. Their education is important. Military, structure, uh, unity, focus. Everybody is going for the same thing. And they have a sense <clears throat> we're not on top yet, but we're going to get on top. We're going to find our rightful place. We're going to earn it. Once a nation has risen to the top, what happens then? People are tempted to look around and say, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? And this is usually the beginning of the decline. There's complacency and a movement away from earning one's place in the world to a sense of entitlement. Soon enough, there is significant disunity in the land, more than the political infighting that accompanies all national politics. And all the while that, that one nation is declining, another is rising with a disciplined population that is unified and focused. Sometimes the fall of an empire takes centuries, like the Roman Empire. And sometimes it falls overnight, like the Babylonian Empire. Yes, it had been coming for a while, 
But it ended way sooner than anybody anticipated. We find similar patterns in human beings and for our purposes in believers' lives. When we're first saved or when we first become serious about living according to the faith that God has given us in, in Jesus. We find ourselves oftentimes on fire for the Lord. But over time, old temptations begin to bother us again. And we lose our first love for Jesus. Fortunately, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And the body of Christ encouraging us. And the mercy of God leading us to long for Jesus' return. We are given discernment to understand the times and to live accordingly. Just like Daniel did, which is the focus of our next point. <clears throat> Humble yourself before the Lord in a culture that seeks to provoke you to meet arrogance with arrogance. Look, the world is itching for a fight. We haven't been in a world war <clears throat> in almost 80 years. And the world, many people in the world are trying to provoke us to fight. Recent wars between Russia and Ukraine, and now between Israel and Hamas, terrorists in Gaza, plus the potential for a war between China and Taiwan, all increase the potential of a wider global conflict. On a more local level, when was the last time you experienced Different groups of people meeting together and speaking calmly and with respect for one another. If you're inclined to be polite, then you've been scandalized by the conversation around you. Especially when disapproval is directed toward you. And the temptation is to fight back. That's what we're inclined to do. But we're not allowed to. <coughs> we must reject the spirit of the age and take our cue from Scripture. First Peter 3 gives us our marching orders. And although it's picking up in the middle of a thought here, I want to read verses 13 to 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It is not easy to be gentle in an increasingly violent world. But we must. It's our calling. We have a good example in Daniel, but it was never Daniel's intent to have people look at him. It was always the prophet's desire for people to look, rather, to Yahweh. We've already seen how the New Testament writers connected Jesus with Yahweh. 
And just as Ricky said, Jesus is the better Adam. Jesus is the better Daniel. So lift your eyes to him and point others to him. Gently sharing the gospel with them, which leads to the last point. Seek to understand God's ways. His ways with both nations and individuals. Seek to know his ways well enough to be able to share the gospel without a script. Now maybe you can point this out to me. I haven't really ever tried to study this for sure, but I don't think there's any two there are, there was any there were ever two times where Jesus used the same approach in dealing with individuals. He always engaged people. His message was always suited to the individual. He always engaged people according to their needs based on his knowledge of the truth of Scripture. And if you hope to interact, if you ever hope to interact with people like that, where you don't have to say the same thing every time, then you're going to have to know Scripture well enough to understand, understand also God's ways in the world. And the only way to do that is to be in the Word and have the big picture understanding that comes from reading through the Bible Year after year after year. And you'll hear a lot more encouragement for this as we draw closer to the new year. And ways to do it without getting bogged down. What a treasure God's word is to us. Those who belong to Jesus will be on the right side of history for the same reason Daniel was on the right side of history. It's not because we're so good or so wise but because we belong to Jesus who died that justice might be accomplished. And on the last day, whether you're found to be trusting in him for your eternal hope and home, or whether you're trusting in yourself for salvation, that's going to be what determines which way justice will fall for you. Far better that you be found trusting in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, that not... It, it, your word, it's, it's, it's not written with these stories for moral lessons or, or advice about how to live our lives. Although there is a great deal of that in the text. But it's written to point us to Jesus. And when we know him, then we know... <laughs> how we're to live here. But Lord, we are weak and frail. And so we pray that you would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, change us to be more like Jesus. We love you and yield ourselves to you. Thank you, Father, that so many were willing to put up with so much this morning to be here to worship you. And may it remind us to pray for people who have walked miles 
barefooted this morning with people at home who will beat them for going to church. But they did so to worship you. And for those who are meeting in secret or communicating in some ways and not even able to meet at all, we thank you for our privileges and we pray that they would continue for centuries and centuries. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are in a different setting. Whatever setting we're in, Lord, may our hearts always turn to you. Give us faith to live out of our identity in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.